Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that doesn't suck. Now, let's talk tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Event Tech Podcast. That gentleman over there is the cloistered Will Curran. And that, man, events. <laughs> and that man over there is the disturbed Brand Kruger Event Technology Consulting. Ooh, ah, 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 ah. All right, I just got a sidebar real quick. Uh, you know, I know we're just getting started at the podcast, but uh, one of the greatest pranks of all time is that this was years ago. We went to an employ- uh, a coworker's computer, and he had left it logged in, and we changed every single possible system sound <laughs> to ooh, ah, ah, ah. That, so every time we got an email to do that, every Everything. time we did an error message. Like, and there's a lot of system sounds that aren't initially turned on that you can turn on. Like every time you click, every time you double click, every time you right click, every single possible. So everything the dude did was, oh, ah, oh, ah. it was immensely hilarious. Did he have um, speakers in his in his office too? Oh, yeah. I mean, So, so you, just, you guys turned it up and you're like, let's wait until this happens. <laughs> It was fantastic. That ranks right up there, by the way, with of taking a screenshot of your coworker's desktop, putting all of their stuff into a folder on the desktop, and then replacing the wallpaper with the screenshot of the desktop, <laughs> so that they go to click on stuff and nothing happens. I love that. It's like it's like '90s pranks of exactly. uh, technology pranks, where it's like now it, the pranks have totally changed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, so so please send in your 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 2020s. Uh, uh, pranks uh, so that we can get into the proper decade of what you would do once we get back to work. Send those to <laughs> eventtechpodcast at helloendus.com. But that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> yes, that's true. I was about to go off topic and continue more, but let's talk about what we're actually talking about today. Yeah, we know <laughs> that you and I can rat hole all day long, um, but we should probably stay on on on, on task and, and focus a little bit. Um, so we had a fantastic conversation a few weeks ago talking about the new world of hybrid events and uh, the the long tail of of as we come out of uh, this uh, you know come out of the pandemic out of fully online and start bringing back and reincorporating the in person audience to our events not going back reincorporating and uh, I wanted to uh, expand that a little bit because a lot of over over the few weeks uh, since we recorded that um, I don't know about you Will I've been getting a ton of questions about staffing how much staff Sorry. do I need in this new hybrid world. Um, so I thought it was definitely worth uh, marinating in a little bit and, and discussing for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, when we start to look at it too, I think that everyone has kind of started to develop out their virtual roles and what their virtual team looks like. And everyone obviously knew what in-person teams look like. But when you go to hybrid, it's not just about like taking those and smashing them together and saying like, oh, it's yeah, now it's one mega team, hybrid team. Like, no, it's it's really, I think, more so about thinking about the new challenges and the new uh, situations you're going to run into now that things are hybrid and what sort of roles you need to cover that as well. And, I, you so, know, I, people are really worried about, you know, oh, I'm going to have to spend twice as much and things like that. And it's nah, no, you know, I try to walk people yeah. back off the edge a little bit, but you do have to think these things through. And just like 
in our in-person events, you've got kind of different levels of staffing, right? You've got, you know, the people that you can come in that can literally be human finger pointers. Um, you know, when you when you walk into, a you know, these massive convention hotels like, a, you know, like a Gaylord where they're, you know, they're giant mazes, you know, you just need those people, right? That are literally just standing there going, the buses are that way, you know, the convention center's that way, you know, the breakouts are that way. They don't have to be highly skilled individuals. And the same applies to our online and hybrid events, that once you get over a certain number of people, or once the platform becomes complicated enough or has enough features, you know, where, you know, everybody's got their feature lists of like, well, not only do we want Q&A, but we want engagement and gamification and, you know, but once you keep adding those features, it's like making the convention center bigger, right? It's like making the hotel bigger with, you know, the different add-ons and things like that. So we need to think through the staffing for our online and hybrid events as well, that you don't necessarily need people that are highly technical, uh, you know, uh, audiovisual technicians. But what you do need are finger pointers, are people to just be there and keep an eye on the breakout sessions, keep an eye on, uh, you know, literally helping people get to where they need to go exactly and i think that one important thing to, to go on your argument too that this isn't necessarily going to increase your expenses massively too is that as you start to you ease into going from a large virtual event or an a virtual event and going to hybrid you're not going to start off with thousands of attendees attending in person you're going to start with 30 40 people then go to 100 then you know it's slowly going to scale up the number of people so therefore you can slowly uh, you know bring up your staff. For example, um, you talk about kind of the finger pointing people, you know, like in a 50 person event, you might just need one single person to kind of be that like, hey, I'm gonna make sure everybody's going in the right position. But then when you get up to like a 1000 people, and you're in a Gaylord hotel, yeah, you need lots more people. So I start to think about it in that way, too, as you start to scale up, you scale that staff with it, and you have to design your, you know, your event revenue model to match that, that as you start to grow in sales, that you also think about your costs increasing as well, and what those, that team kind of looks like. You know, and you actually just made me think of a, a great point. So a lot of the staffing companies that we get, you know, for on-site staffing require you to have a full eight-hour day. You know, there's some that let you do twos and fours and sixes, but many of them will require eight hours. So what you can do is actually reuse some of this staffing. So half the day you're a finger pointer or for two hours on and two hours off, you could do you know, literally live in-person finger pointing, but then they could swap out with somebody and then they can be an online finger pointer and get to sit down and, you know, maybe have a little lunch, you know, when nobody's in there, you know, needs any help or anything like that. So it's a way of uh, potentially reusing and using staff to the fullest as opposed to, well, I only really need you for four hours, you know, that kind of thing. That's a good point. It, it makes me think about too that um, I might be starting to like fling a little bit in all different directions, but also how your staffing is now going to change in terms of the tools that they're going to need. Because yeah, before if you had a sign pointer holder person, you might just be like, "Hey, and welcome. Okay, and here's your shirt you're going to wear, and here's what you say, and smile, and be good. Boom, here you go." But like now that you're like, "Oh, hey, now I need you to go on this platform." Well, then you need a platform training, which is kind of like obvious when it comes to it. But then I'm also thinking like you're going to need in your staff room like tables of laptops just sitting there waiting for someone to hop in so then they can participate in the the, the, vir the virtual aspect of the event as well. So like I'm imagining like you're probably your like computer rental costs are going to go up for those temp staff and those, you know, um, uh, you know, event staff people as well. 
It might potentially. Um, and, and, and what I think you've, you've kind of drifted into what I kind of see is the next level up, right? So much like in an in-person event, you've got your finger pointers and then you need the people that are actually like part of your registration staff, you know, that maybe need a little bit higher level of customer service, a little bit higher level of knowing the agenda, what's going on, where things are. Um, you know, and being able to help with the, just the technicalities of getting someone registered and, you know, that kind of thing. So that level of staff kind of tends to be the next up. Likewise, um, a, a fantastic idea that I'm hearing folks using out there is the idea of this digital concierge, that you have someone who's just dedicated support hanging out in a Zoom, like you say, you've either got laptops lined up. You don't need a ton of them. So, you know, the example that I heard was about a 5,000 person conference fully online this one was um and over three days and in that time that person saw maybe 10 people so but it was a fantastic safety blanket it was just you know people loved the idea that it existed they loved the idea of the digital concierge and even though only about 10 people used it it was it was a well like people really dug the idea it's like that safety blanket of just knowing that there was a real live person there to help you if you were having trouble getting into the platform or didn't know how to do the chat or the polling, those kinds of things. And sometimes that's just a really important part. And to be because that person only dealt with about 10 people over the course of the day, it's not like that took their full attention. They were able to work on other things. They were able to help, you know, with the registration. They were able to help uh, be finger pointer, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, so it's a, it, was a, it was a great idea. And I really think it's worth stealing <laughs> for as many people 100%. as possible. The, just having that one dedicated person. Something that we do at Endless is that we've basically staffed out now a full support team. So, you know, like when you sign up for a SaaS product, you know, you kind of expect there to be email support. Now you probably expect there to be chat support. Um, you know, the good apps or maybe the ones that you pay extra money for give you phone support. So, like, we built out this whole, you know, series of, of abilities for anyone to reach us for any sort of support. And we go through a ticketing system. So when someone emails us saying, hey, I need help with XYZ, boom, it makes a ticket. We can track how long time it took. We can have internal notes all that sort of stuff when it comes to it. And then obviously prompt surveys and things like that. I think that's that digital concierge makes so much sense because yeah, people just need the ability to know where do they go when they have a quick question and you can answer it as soon as possible. I think the one thing when it comes to hybrid that's really important with this is making sure that your support teams are all in sync with each other because probably there's gonna be a team, you know, being that digital concierge and helping people on the virtual side, but there's also probably somebody who's also answering questions in person. And sometimes they're very similar questions. So for example, um, Let's and and I think like I'm trying to think of a communication stuff that like changes last minute. You need good communication. You have to be able to have like an audio channel to talk to each other, almost like a radio. But imagine like let's say John Legend's your keynote, and John Legend, you know, unfortunately won the highest award of musicians ever, and he's like, I'm not speaking at this conference, and cancels on everybody to show up. So now like you send out an announcement via the app saying John Legend's not on the keynote. Who's the you know we're gonna have a new key, surprise keynote coming for you? Well, I'm sure a number one question you'd get from attendees is who's the keynote? Who's it when? they going to be here can you tell me anything and i'm imagining if you had separate teams the in-person people probably really know what's going on they're really in the loop they know what's going on but then the virtual people are like so wait what's what's going on over here so if you can sync them up as much as possible too the, that way you can deliver really great service to answer people's questions and uh everything like that so I, I i think about that in terms of like how can you also just make sure that you sync these teams so now you've gone from having maybe one person who's just pure digital concierge now you have an in-person concierge as well and now you got to figure out how way to make them so they they're tight-knit with each other 
And that's a great opportunity to use some of the tools that have increased in popularity, not not just during the pandemic, but before things like Slack and, you know, Teams and, and other of these collaboration software that enables you to work with each other in real time. That's very true. That's very true. I, I, I'll, I, I start to think about, too, if um, when it comes to roles uh, going away. Maybe unless you have any additional like kind of service related roles um, or I guess. So here's one that I probably would um, add in. And this one, I think, is more relevant to virtual than it is in person as much. But I think there needs to be like hype men, almost like the feet. You have the sign pointer who makes sure you get to the right direction. But that person sometimes also works a little bit like a hype person. They're like, well, welcome. Yeah, go this way. You know, but you need that almost for the like best all ones for sure. Too. Absolutely. You yeah. know, you think yeah. about the people that you want to rehire and like, man, I want that person on my event next year. Those are the ones that find ways to make something as boring as being the finger pointer, uh, you know, as, as, <laughs> as, as, as fun and interesting. And that, you know, that helps to the experience. Absolutely. And I think it, it, it's needed for that hybrid experience. It was really needed for virtual, like somebody in the chat who's going to be like the first person posting in the chat, who's responding every single comment coming in so people see that there's engagement, you know, they're the ones asking a question, they're the ones pu putting emojis in there. But I think that that's also needed um, when it comes back to uh, the, the hybrid aspect too, because I'm thinking about it too, that, you know, if you're a virtual attendee and you just see kind of everybody's really quiet and shuffling in and... Oh yeah, you know, it's just another conference and this and that. But then, but the, when you go into like those general sessions where you see people cheering and they're out of the seats dancing before they get started, you get a camera on them. Like I'm imagining like having hype people, not only in the chat virtually, but also like in person to hype up the audience. So you get those great camera shots. So all the people in the virtual are like feeling the energy of the in-person audience as well. I, I can see that being really, really a, a crucial part too. And one of the uh, things I keep going back to is, is, you know, an interview that you and I did a couple years ago now with, with GameSpot talking about how they would pre-populate the platform, you know, and that was just, are there in-person events talking about their event app? Um, but, you know, the, getting the gamification going and the posting going and the social media things going before you released the, the event app to the rest of the, uh, the, the uh, attendees. That's true. That's very true. So kind of, I think, pivoting away from um, uh, the, the general maybe customer service, hype men sort of things. I'm starting to think about like technical roles that kind of are needed once you start to go hybrid. So the first thing I think about is that, you know, you're streaming like I, and I, I think there's a lot of similar ways that like in person does start to bleed into this. But you need that like little bit that I'll call it like the 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 cherry on top, the sugar on top sort of situation to take what was already happening. So, for example, a general session most people are used to having a video engineer who's controlling all the camera shots and choosing which shots to take and everything like that well what's probably going to happen is that you're going to have someone in person uh deciding what camera shots are going to the screen well you also need to have somebody who's deciding which camera shots go to the stream uh, the live stream itself um that the virtual audience is going to see so i see in a lot of ways that you know probably in the video world that there's going to be probably a doubling of staff because you know you're not going to show the same uh walk-in video and intro video for all the in-person attendees that says here's a wi-fi code i'm fine with a virtual attendee and i see a wi-fi code in a pre pre-roll uh slide deck i'm gonna be like you guys know i don't i'm using my own wi-fi <laughs> like i'm gonna feel like weirdly alien but i can imagine that you have a separate graphics operator who's running the graphics that are going to the live stream um and the same way that someone's choosing a different shot for the the virtual audience than the in-person audience that sort of thing so i can see like the video staff for these conferences 
really beefing up to give a great video experience for both in person and virtual. What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, it's all levels, right? So, you know, the bare minimum is to double, you know, the whatever's on the iMag feed, and that could either be camera or presentation. Um, you know, the next level up are platforms that allow you to have both, right? Where you've got a camera angle and a presentation. And then, then you've at least got the video switcher capability of I'm cutting between multiple cameras or it's just the single camera. Um, and then the presentation's always there. So it, it's not that much more of a burden on the individual, a single video switcher because they're just cutting cameras and not having to worry about it. Um, the next level up from that then, like you say, is where you've got someone who's dedicated to just switching the cameras for the for the feed and then having a secondary graphics deck that's just for the for the live stream as well. And, and each one of those brings with it a higher quality experience. And a lot of that's going to depend on budget, but just knowing that those are trade-offs and capabilities. And just like, again, you know, I keep using this metaphor, you can have a you can have an event in a field or you can have an event in the ballroom of a Ritz Carlton, and you can have a really good event at both. They're going to be very different experiences, you know, and so it's it's not that you can't do a good event um, using just a single feed uh, for your video, but it's potentially going to make the experience better for your online audience, your remote audience, if you're really giving them their own dedicated, true, truly dedicated feed. Mm. So I, I got a debate for you, and this is probably this is probably like the number one question, or like the number one debated staff item on sometimes when it came to like general sessions that relates to video is number of camera operators. So you know, pre-COVID and pre everyone being so fixated on enjoying content virtually, you know. Clients would say like, oh, you know, uh, we want to do just one camera. And we'd be like, no, you really need to at least do two cameras for the in-person audience. It's like if you have one camera just literally swaying back and forth, people are just going to get hate it, right? I think that now that we're going virtual and content quality and production value is so high, I think we're in the world where you need at least a three-camera setup minimum for your live stream. What's And obviously, I'll take more. Like I think TED, uh, as in TED Talks, requires like minimum five camera angles for their recordings. So then that way they can get like very specific. Like It's like mapped out where they have to go. Like I think we're at that point where we need that level of, of production value in terms of camera operators. What's your thoughts? Yes. And I think, you know, I think, again, it's one of those levels, right? It's like, how much can I, based on budget, you know, just knowing that each one of those angles adds a little something, something, right? So being going from single camera to two cameras to three cameras is going to add more to the experience if you're able to do so. Um, what I'll tack on is something that I'm stressing to folks, again, as we move into this hybrid world is, you know, as you said towards the beginning, initially our online audiences are probably going to be larger than our in-person audiences. And so really thinking about that fact and making sure that they are not the second class citizens because that's your primary audience. And so starting to change our room setups so that there's a larger aisle down the middle and the camera is closer as opposed to being at the back of the room so you can see everybody's, you know, heads uh, between you and the camera. You know, when you see that online, it's only going to further emphasize that you're a second class citizen. You're literally sitting in the back row of the event. And so having, if you've only got one camera, then make sure it's a really good camera shot. You know, it's a nice, you know, we're used to seeing tight shots now for the last year of basically just someone's head. So 
if you and go that's a back hard camera the, shot to get if someone's moving exactly. back on stage. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going to say next is that not only that, but then so not only does it change your camera angles and where you put your camera, you really have to start coaching your presenters that, hey, we know you've got an in-person audience. But remember, there's far more people out there. There's far more people behind that camera than there are sitting in this room. And so, yes, do a little to the left. Yes, do a little to the right. But remember, your primary audience is that camera. And so you have to plant. You have to stay within, you know, here's your six-foot box that you need to stay in. Or if you've got multiple cameras, now you can start to zoom out a little bit. So you've got the tight shot. But you still need to coach your presenters to then plant. So like anytime you've got something really serious that you want to say, that's when you stop and you look at the camera. And then the, the operator will know, okay, this is a moment. We're going to push in a little bit. We're going to get the nice tighter shot. And then you know, very clearly wrap up and start to shift and then start to let them know that you're going to start moving again. And then they can go to a wider shot on the second camera. So it's, it's, it's really important. That's why I keep using this terminology of not going back to in-person events, but reincorporating in-person events into what we've been doing. Because for a long time now, uh, for, 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 for the near future and the, and the mid-future as well, you're probably going to have more people online than you are in person. So remember your primary audience. I love it. I love it. Um, kind of going down the AV route of uh, topics, I can't agree even more. And I'm also terrified about the fact that I have to stand in one place while speaking now. Um, oh, I am with you. You know me. I'm a pacer <laughs> yeah, we, as well. We pace I like, pace. pace. And that, pace that and just, you know, just to real quick finish that up, the, the reason you need to do that is because, like, again, we're used to these fixed camera angles for the last year. You're going to make your audience seasick, panning back and forth, panning back and forth as, as you pace the stage. 100%, 100%. So kind of continuing down the AV route, I think we talked about graphics, we talked about camera operators, video switchers, things like that. I'm also thinking about audio and how important I think audio is going to be um, because a lot of people I think in the past were like, yeah, let's just take the feed that we're taking from the from the mix, from that's going to the speakers, boom, we're done. But I think a really good uh, hybrid audience has a good mix of things. So for example, what we do with a lot of our hybrid events is we mix in a little bit of audience noise in. And so if you have a really good audio board and a good audio operator, they can do two separate mixes and monitor both at the same time, which is just blows my mind. But I think like incorporating things like the, uh, an audience uh, uh, sound in there, but also too just uh, slightly adjusting the audio too in a lot of ways. I think the audience noise is something that we miss a lot. Like that's why you watch these concert live streams. If you just heard only the band playing, but you miss the shh, everyone going crazy you know i think that it can uh feel really dull but also too that um sometimes there might be a point where you know you're uh uh there's uh you know for example uh someone asking a question in the in-person audience you need to make sure that you have someone running with a mic to go get that person on a mic as soon as possible or you know long-lived catchbox the catchbox is going to come back and you have to make sure that you capture that audio in there and i think that the audio is just as important as the video um when it comes to these streams and considering how it's a little bit of a different mix than it is for uh in person you bring up two fantastic points so one i've always been a fan of uh what i always called a nat mic the natural mic so it's picking up the natural room of the or natural sound of the room um for that exact reason the early hybrid events that we were working on 10 years ago, um, I, I vividly remember um, they had one where they were only sending the, the soundboard mix. And what, it, what, was, what was weird about it is like the keynote and stuff was really good. And we were having a sidebar conversation online because, there, you, because you couldn't hear the in-person audience. It sounded like they were bombing. 
Yeah, because you couldn't. They, they make a joke. It just right. Silence. Couldn't hear the giggles. Yeah. Couldn't hear the laughs. Couldn't hear the clapping. So, and they would clamp the mic when the applause would happen. So you you would literally wouldn't hear any applause from the room. They wow. would just shut the mic off. And we were like, "Wow, what's going on? This, you know, this they must be they're they're just dead in person. You know what's?" And then we finally realized it's because we were only getting the soundboard mix for what was in the room and couldn't hear that in-person stuff. It's, I, so I couldn't agree more. It's great to have that kind of out-in-the-audience mic um, just on a low level just to pick up the coughs and the sniffles. And, the you know, it's, it's just going to add that, make me feel like I'm part of the group, make me feel like I'm part of the event. And then the second thing that you touched on, um, I don't know if you did it on purpose or not, but, but, <laughs> but, not. but, but in the same vein, right. You know, it's because you've got that separate mix, um, having someone off site or in another room that's watching the feed, um, at the very least in another room, even better off site that's monitoring the, uh, the remote feed for you. Because again, in those early days, the number of times where they were just sending the in-person mix, but they were sending it too hot or something like that. So everything was, you know, and if anybody had been actually just listening to the feed, they could have given some feedback to the in, you know, the in-room tech to say, it's way too loud going out on the feed. It's overdriving, it's hashing out, just turn it down a little bit. Um, so you need that person not only for the audio quality, but just to, you know, the experience, like having yeah. someone monitoring the experience on behalf of your hybrid audience so that you can get that feedback right away from someone that you know and trust, as opposed to someone who might be embarrassed to, you know, let you know, you know, one of your attendees shouldn't have to tell you that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. And maybe if there's a way for you to do it to depend, obviously it depends on the technologies that you're using, but if you can somehow maybe catch the feed uh, significantly before the audience, because sometimes too, if yeah, 12 second delays, five second delays or something like that, that can be killer uh, for hearing that feedback, which by the way is one of the greatest puns I think I've ever heard on this podcast is feedback. Um, and, <laughs> but yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Someone to monitor it. So, so important. Um, and that has communication directly back to the people that can fix it. I, the thing that I think that frustrates me the most ever is when, and I'm producing an event, we're watching the feed and we're like monitoring it. We have our headphones and we're like, can't hear anything else other than feed. And someone comes up and says, oh, you know, it sounds bad or this and this and that. And we're like, okay, well, uh, how can we, like, it's really hard to communicate because they don't, they don't have this ability to directly connect. And it's usually delayed too. You know, you'll end up hearing a feed, feedback. God, this, this pun is just so good. This feedback, you'll end up getting it, um, you know, uh, you know, a minute late. And by then it might've been something the audio engineer already fixed. That was like the person slapped their hand on the mic or something like that. Um, so I think just having that ability to have someone monitor it and directly talk back to the team that's on the comm system. So, so important. Uh, I'll throw out another role that I think is going to potentially become important as well is the, the idea of the producer, right? I think before a lot of, I'd see like my association clients be like, you know, we don't need a producer. We'll just, you know, we need someone to make sure they get on stage and I'll act as, you know, general producer. But I think you need now somebody who really understands how to um, think like a producer, the show flow and everything like that. And I think that the, I know we're talking about staff, but a piece of equipment I think that's important is the IFB, the idea of putting something in somebody's ear. And I can see presenters 
you know, now moving forward that they all get an IFB. So every time they go on stage, you know, um, someone's able to like whisper in there, hey, make more eye contact with the camera, you know, or uh, hey, we're about to get a question from the, the in-person audience. And they can talk directly to that person, um, similar to the way a broadcast news anchor would as well. And I see that being a huge role as that producer that can talk to everybody and think about the show flow of how it's all working together and isn't just like the presenter on stage in a, you know, an island by themselves. And if you, if you can't do that, um, the next best thing is for the in-person uh, presenters and things like that to have um, just the downstage monitor, being able to send messages to that downstage monitor. Um, you, you mentioned the IFB. It's funny. We were doing just Q&A session with an executive, and we were funneling the online questions um, and questions coming in through the app down to the downstage monitor. And he was really good at just kind of glancing down and... People thought he had an IFB. They, they thought people were like <laughs> giving great. him the questions in his ear because he was just so smoothly kind of glancing down to collect his thoughts. Well, I see that Jonathan is asking a question about, you know, and would look up and tell the audience. And so you can use those very effectively as well without necessarily having the, uh, the bug in your ear. Also very helpful for saying wrap up, session is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um I'm, I'm thinking about it too that like a lot of times when we create broadcast television too, stuff ends up having to happen on the fly too. So, you know, it's really great if you have that IFB where you can say like, oh, and next up we're going to, uh, you know, Carol over in uh, the South Carolina uh, studio. Um, so if you can just uh, introduce Carol Schmidt and then like, and yep, yeah, so that's my talk for today. Thank you guys so much. We're going to go over to Carol Schmidt over in the South Carolina studio. Carol, what do you have to have? And boom, you can do that like great transition to a news anchor kind of setup as well. Um, what other tech kind of roles do you think are uh, are going to be important now moving together in hybrid? Yeah, I think there's there's additional roles for producers, technical producers. You know, it's something we've talked about here. Uh, you know, on on in this podcast is the role of the technical producer. Um, if you've really got the budget, you have one of each. You've got someone who's you know going to be the technical producer in the room, and another one who's handling the online. And then, you know, there's someone above that. But obviously, you know, the, the important thing is that there's somebody thinking about both experiences and, and working on the tech and making sure that it all blends together. And for me, and, and we talked about this last time when we were talking about hybrids, is it's really all about the creating the connections, creating the connections between the in-person audience and the online audience to really make them feel, even though they're totally different experiences, that they're part of the same event. And that's really what it's all about is that, even if they're not directly interacting all that much, if and it's just Q&A and polls and things like that, still making it feel like it's part of a cohesive event. It's all one thing and nobody is a second class citizen, that they all have ways of contributing and asking questions. So having staff assigned, for me, that's a lot of what we've been talking about today, is making sure that people know where to go, making sure that people feel like they're being cared for and taken care of and that there's support for them. It's that safety blanket. And then moving into the technical, you've got people that are monitoring it and, you know, the NAT mics and making sure that we can hear what's going on. You know, so for me, all of the these levels are about creating that connection and making people feel like they're a part of the same event. So good. I got one last technical role that I think no one's really thinking about, and you're going to laugh Ooh, at me. Bring it. Long-time listeners are going to be like, and Will finally has his day. But I think the head of, I'll, I'll say IT in this general term, but mainly about internet. 
IT because uh, you don't have to deal with like file storage as much on on site and things like that. But uh, IT in the sense of two things, um, mainly internet speed, which I'll get to, and then also the thing I. Uh, I'd be in trouble if I don't mention this. Also, cybersecurity, too, as well. Starting to think about that. But I think that now with hybrid events, everyone's going to be on their phones. You have to have rock-solid internet pumping that feed outside of the venue. Like, before, you were like, oh, yeah, you know what? We'll get, like, a 10 megabit per second connection. And if it didn't work right and it was not okay, you'd somebody have to, like, so let's just increase the speed. Give us more. We'll give you more money. We need to make this faster. When in reality, like, you need someone who really understands network connectivity and how it all works together to make sure that that internet connection at your venue is so rock solid. I think that's going to be the, like, that's going to be the unsung hero, I think, of hybrid events uh, going in. Because everyone's going to be like, yeah, we're going to be thinking about EV. And, and I think a lot of the experience stuff we've been talking about, people are starting to think about. But I think, like, the technical aspect of how internet works is, like, the new AV coming back into hybrid events. So that's that's my thoughts because, man, you got to have rock-solid internet for some hybrid events. <laughs> I don't disagree. I'll throw in one caveat, oh, give it which, is just, which is just that um, – you know, it's it's been so funny over the course of this last year watching the cycles, and and again, we've talked about it on this show of that how how much the current cycle of online platforms matches up to what took place over about six or seven years with event apps, including the you know the the explosion of different platforms, and then the buyouts start happening, and the funding starts happening, and then it starts to shrink, and then it's people, um, you know, we're seeing that. So one of the other things that happened in the event app cycle is that large companies with large IT departments decided they could roll their own. And <laughs> what would usually happen is that they would do it once uh, for like a year. And then they would immediately go back to, you know, third-party B2B off-the-shelf uh, event apps. Because what would happen is their their IT department, yeah, they, they were able to do their own websites and do their own web apps and release it. But then they're like, okay, but now we need to go back to doing banking stuff. You know, because we're a bank and we're the IT department for a bank. And so when the planners would come back and say, well, there's a bug in the, you know, in the app and it doesn't do this right. And it doesn't do that right. They'd be like, great. We'll get to you after we fix all of our banking stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that's a long way of saying that I want to be careful as we talk about the hero of IT, you know, of IT being kind of the new, the new thing. And, you know, people who know things about bandwidth is that if we start to push that onto our internal groups just know that you are not going to be their priority you know sure. unless it's part of your team unless you start to incorporate and this is where i think you're right is that we do need to start to incorporate technical folk into our event teams uh, either as a permanent member or as a consultant or something along those lines people who know these things or it's part of your production company it's part of your production team that they're providing that person and so just a cautionary tale that you know hey we're a giant fortune 500 bank <laughs> we've got technical people they can do it for free it's not free and they're going to get to you when they get to you <laughs> that, that, i think that's such a great uh point to to kind of end on to is that when you're designing this team it's always important to know that if you're trying to have someone who's also their main job is doing something else, they're always going to lean towards the thing that pays them and does the main job, right? Um, and I've learned this as a business owner is that, you know, if you if you give two people up, someone two different, distinctly different tasks, they're always going to lean on the one they want, enjoy the most and the other one's always going to get sacrificed. Not to say that there'll be some weeks. So, for example, when I had a, hired uh, some of our first marketing people, they were writers and also social media people. So some weeks we had great social media and crushed it. 
it. And then they'd be like, but I didn't get a chance to write a blog. I'm like, okay, fine. Then they read a blog. Oh, I didn't get a chance to post anything on social media. And what I learned is like give people very specific tasks and make that their sole responsibility. They'll thrive 100%. So a little bit extra business advice <laughs> from, from Will. Yeah. From, from Will so. <laughs> bonus, bonus biz content from Will. Bonus tip. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think that's a good point to end on though. Like when yeah. it comes to thinking about designing your team is that mix of internal thinking about experience. I mean, Brant, you, I mean, you literally summed it up so well. Um, so I'm going to let you take this one. Well, I just, I just want to make sure people don't stress out over. It. I mean, we're talking about a lot of additional staffing, a lot of additional people, but that doesn't mean that that you have to have all these people, yes. but like with everything, you know, the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. And so just like if your group is big enough to be at one of those large convention center hotels, you're big enough to need staffing for that. And so just to bear that in mind that, yeah, if you're a small association, you know, doing your annual meeting, you probably can't have the multiple camera angles and all of the staffing that you need. But that's when you can start to look for volunteers. You know, the, the digital concierge idea doesn't have to be a full-time job. They can be working on other stuff while they're doing it. So that's a great great opportunity for a volunteer for your association or, or a student or something along those lines. It really is just like our in-person events. It's a matter of scaling up when you need to and knowing that each level is going to increase the overall experience for your attendees. And when you can get there, you can get there and it'll be amazing. And don't hesitate to ask um, and to explore those ideas. Even if you think that you might not be able to afford it, at least ask because here's the thing you can at, say hey uh, my dream is to do a four camera shoot i don't know if we can afford it ask for the quote say hey send me a four camera shoot man this is just over budget oh what was a two camera shoot look like okay that's in budget now i know if i spend an extra three thousand dollars on the video section of the event i can do a four camera shoot i'm gonna put that on the, t on the wish list for next year let's try to increase revenues by $10,000. So then that way I have $3,000 in profit to pay for the video cameras and boom, that's how you grow your events. Right. There. I was just going to say, yeah, it's exactly it. Like once, once you know what that number is, Oh, I need to get one more platinum sponsor or I need to get one more exhibitor, you know, whatever it is, you've got that target and you can make it happen. Totally. Totally. And if you, if you don't ask, you never know. And you might, you know, for example, if you're sitting here saying, hell yeah, maybe my production team uh, can be my uh, digital concierge. They might say to themselves, well, yeah, we're already planning on giving that as part of our package. Oh, well, great. Cool. Can we talk about what that looks like? And who knows? They might be able to do it for cheap or, you know, who knows? Maybe your, your, yeah, your partners will end up making some magic happen in the end. When I'm working with my clients and we're putting together an RFP, I always say start with the sun and the moon and the stars because then I can find out what's important to you and then we can work our way back from there. 100%. 100%. Bring it well, home. Thank, thank you so much for uh, such an awesome conversation. Uh, and thank you to our, uh, uh, well, thank you, Brant. We always have such good conversations about this tech, and I have no idea because we just come in with like one sentence headline as far as what we're going to talk about, and we always end up learning stuff from each other. So, Brant, thank you so much for, uh, for an awesome conversation. Um, and thank you to our audience also for hanging out. We'd love to hear from you. A, your 90, your 2020s IT pranks that you like to do, but also um, we want to hear from you what you think the most important roles now going into hybrid art. Email us, eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. Love to hear from you all day long. So I think that'll do for us today, Brent, shall we? Event. Tech. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Ooh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> 
Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast.